0: somewhere between sleeping and waking. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep there comes a thin moment when we have one foot in the waking world and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here and straddled between two planets that spin against each other like gears an attentive traveller will see a narrow door only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, a tumbling cascade of imagination and reality, a fault line in the tectonic crust of consciousness where volcanoes erupt the hot pumice of images and the languid ooze of narrative. Welcome to Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a fortnightly podcast of fairy tales for all ages from bordersofsleep.com featuring original stories by your host Seymour Jacklin. Visit bordersofsleep.com to find out more. So, if you are ready to travel with me, then I shall begin. Midsummer by Seymour Jacklin I have a present for you, says Nick. Nick and I were a walking, talking, dangerous book for boys before that volume was ever compiled. We pestered our science teachers at break time for advice on how to cross-pollinate and breed new varieties of plants, we were origami wizards, and we commanded our own army. We even made our own paperback combat instruction manuals from stapled together scraps of paper. Nick pulls out a little blue, elastic band powered spud gun that I've coveted for the last week. He checks the integrity of the band and squints down the barrel before handing it over to me saying, Consider it a pre-Midsummer Night's present. When you are a 13-year-old boy, one single day, like Christmas Day or your birthday, can loom so large that it glows in your mind forever. I might say that it was a family tradition that we used to celebrate Midsummer's Night with a grand picnic, but we probably did it twice. Again the smallness and the newness of a young boy's world adds the glint of tradition to any repeated event. On the particular Midsummer's Night picnic that was in the offing, I was allowed to bring my two finest friends along. Johnny, who was gangly and specialised in making up new words and noises, and Nick, who was chubby and never seemed to lack for interesting toys and gadgets. In my family, the tradition for Midsummer's Night was to bundle picnic and dogs and people into a sturdy skiff and row to a small island in the middle of the Thames, at a point where the river broadened out into its widest non-tidal section and was threaded with little islands. Preparations for the expedition included producing detailed maps of the island, sharpening sticks to roast marshmallows on, and assembling an assortment of weapons for all eventualities. That is where the spud gun comes in. I now have my weapon of choice. At the end of the week, the longest day dawns at last. After school, my friends come home with me. And we spend some time looking over the maps and deciding who will sit at the front of the boat and who will row. It is 6pm and the sun is still high in the sky when we set off to get the boat ready and bring it out to the landing stage where my parents, my sister and her friends will meet us with the dogs and the food. Going down to the little backwater where we keep the boat, untying it and pushing it off into the still water with just enough power to carry it out under the bridge and onto the main river is the most magical moment. I always feel as if I'm quietly drifting into a Chinese painting through willows and past pagodas. I hitch an oar over the back of the boat and scull up to the landing stage. For a moment the three of us are absolutely silent in a perfect lapping contentment that every one of us would happily freeze for eternity. There's a gentle bump as we fetch up against the hard. Johnny, who is more of a water rat than Nick, hops out of the bow and ties the boat up with a knot that he proudly invented. The tranquility of the landscape settles back over us and we sit down in the skiff. Three men in a boat, waiting with all the time in the world our lives stretching before us like an endless midsummer evening. The arrival of two black Labradors breaks our reverie, bounding about with their tongues out and exploring the unseen trails of a million different smells. The rest of the picnic party is close behind them, and it quickly becomes apparent that fitting eight of us into the boat will sink it. My father suggests that they walk up the towpath to the shortest crossing point and we row up and ferry the stuff over to the island in a couple of journeys. I'm barking orders at my two friends and we're soon underway, Johnny and Nick pulling an oar each, settling into a smooth rhythm after a few unruly splashes of the oar blades. The distinctive creak of the oars in the locks has accompanied some of the greatest moments of human adventure. Sailors landing in New World, smugglers manoeuvring on the pitchy sea and three schoolboys off to explore an island on a midsummer evening. I'm sitting up in the bow, being the eyes of the party. I'm feeling like Davy Crockett, Bonnie Prince Charlie and Captain Cook all rolled into one with every surge forward of the strokes, The outline of the island ahead is dominated by a few trees that look like the multiple masts of a galleon. I have the landing spot in sight, a flat clearing on the shore underneath two broad chestnut trees. We make landfall, and it's my turn to judge the perfect moment to leap out of the bar with the painter. The lads have brought her in too fast and perpendicular, and we ram the shore at such a speed that Nick loses his seat and sprawls on the deck. We all laugh, With more splashing and laughter and nimble leaping from craft to shore, we get the rest of the picnic party and supplies over to the island and the dogs swim over the short crossing. It's not until we have done our duty collecting enough firewood for the evening that we will be free to go exploring. My mother is blowing on a lit piece of newspaper and a few twigs and the smoke of a little fire begins to narcotically disperse in the clearing. It's as if a picture is being composed, each of us adding an element, a pile of firewood, a picnic blanket, plastic cups of juice, the spray of a dog shaking itself dry, every act a little brush stroke in a communal work of art. When the picnic site is complete, I show Nick and Johnny a low branch overhanging the water that we can sit on for a council of war. My intention is to add some detail to a map of the interior of the island. I've produced an outline and marked the main landing sites and some paths and features, but the more densely vegetated middle has yet to be charted. The island can be circumnavigated in about 15 minutes via a path that runs around the shore, although the side that faces the main channel of the river is harder going and quite overgrown. I show my friends where another path diverts towards the centre of the island, and then disappears. This is where we will start. Our main enemy will be stinging nettles that grow higher than us, with woody stems and huge hairy leaves. Our main weapon will be the slashing stick, and Nick has not got one, so we will have to pick a good one on the way. Very quickly, we are going single file on a path between towering nettles that suddenly opens out onto another clearing and mooring point. There's a longboat moored here, like a heavily decorated floating gypsy caravan. It's completely silent, and I'm uncomfortable. For a start, I consider this island to be my property, just like I feel I own this whole stretch of river by rights of knowing it better than anyone, if indeed I do. Furthermore, I'm never comfortable with Thames longboats and the way they sit menacingly low in the water and have twitching lace curtains in their windows and black witches' kettles on their roofs. We creep across the clearing, feeling as if we're being watched and plunge back into the undergrowth. As I tell this, I can see those three lads as if in an overexposed photograph that has just tumbled out of an old album. Somehow they're as intangible as ghosts, creeping along, oblivious and utterly absorbed in their intensely colourful world, yet with the strange feeling of being watched. And they are being watched. My inner eye is twitching to one side the curtains of my memory, and marvelling at them, on a midsummer's night 20 years later. The soundtrack for this week's story was from the album Garden of Healing by Healing Muse and available from Magnatune.com. Many thanks to Magnatune artists and to my sound engineer Tim Wiles. We'll be back in a fortnight with another story, and in the meantime, you can visit bordersofsleep.com to leave some feedback or download previous episodes. You can also subscribe to this podcast with iTunes. So, until next time, sweet dreams.